Character Studies, the Bible contains a lot of information about some below, so I will hit a few highlights, and focus on one that doesn't have as much information. I've talked about Hannah, so I won't discuss her here. I encourage you to read about her and get a good study on her character, prayer and faithful commitment to the Lord. First. A. The Philistines. By the time of David, roughly 1050 BC, the Philistines' aggression was well known in Israel. They occupied southern Israel from about 1200 to 600 BC. Archaeology shows there were two different Philistine settlements in Canaan at two different times in history. We are most familiar with those against Israel during David's time, but Abraham met them in Gerar, in Genesis 20-21. It seems they were very peaceful then, in contrast to the Philistines during David's time. The name Philistine was used first among the Egyptians to describe the sea people defeated by Ramesses III in a naval battle about 1188 BC among the Assyrians the group was known as Pilisti or Palestu. The Hebrew word Pelishti is the basis of the name Palestine, a later name for Canaan, the country occupied by God's covenant people. Little is known about the origins of the Philistines except what is contained in the Bible, that they came from Kaftar, Genesis 10:14, generally identified with the island of Crete in the Mediterranean Sea. Crete also was supposed to be the home of the Carathites, who were sometimes associated with the Philistines, Ezekiel 25:16. Philistine territory was considered Cherethite in 1 Samuel 30:14, suggesting that both peoples were part of the invading group defeated earlier by Ramesses III of Egypt. The early Philistine settlements in Canaan took on a new appearance when five cities, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron, Gath, and Gaza, and the areas around them were occupied by the Philistines in the 12th century BC probably all of these except Ekron were already in existence when the Sea Peoples conquered them. These five Philistine cities formed a united political unit. Archaeological discoveries have illustrated how they expanded to the south and east. The Philistines possessed superior weapons of iron when they began to attack the Israelites in the 11th century BC the tribe of Dan moved northward to escape these Philistine attacks, and Judah also came under increasing pressure, Judges 14-18. In Samuel's time the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant in battle. Although the Ark was recovered later, the Philistines continued to occupy Israelite settlements, 1 Samuel 10-5. The threat of the Philistines prompted Israel's demands for a king. But even under Saul the United Nation was still menaced by the Philistines, a threat that ultimately resulted in Saul's death, 1 Samuel 31. David's slaying of Goliath, a giant from Gath, was a key factor in his rise to fame. By this time the Philistines had moved deep into Israelite territory. Archaeological evidence shows they had occupied Tel Beit Mirsam, Beth Zur, Gibeah, Megiddo, and Beth Sheen. Yet by the end of David's reign their power had begun to decline significantly. By the time Jehoshaphat was made king of Judah, 873-848 BC, the Philistines were paying tribute, 2 CHR. 1711, although they tried to become independent under Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram, 2 CHR. 21:16-17. 1. B. Samuel. You can read about his life, and how he was the last seer, the former name of the prophets before the official office of prophet was put in place, 1 Samuel 9-9. Samuel was a godly man, but there were problems with his children as 1 Samuel 8-4-7 states. Perhaps the problems with his sons were due to Samuel not being a good father, if that is true, it is common in the Bible for godly men to have ungodly kids. It is possible Samuel was a good father, but with responsibilities of leading the nation, it seems he was absent often. 1 Samuel 7 15-17, Now Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he used to go annually on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all these places. 
then he would make his return to Ramah, because his house was there, and there he also judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Maybe he did his best, but we know his kids were ungodly men. Application, every vocation has its challenges, but there are higher demands for those who work in business, the medical field, the military, and in ministry. These types of jobs or careers do have a lot of extra demands that require people to be gone from home more than usual at times. For businessmen and women, it could be a new deal or sale, a new company opening, expansion, a buyout, meetings, etc. For those in the medical field, it may be surgeries, constant 10-hour overnight, or day, shifts, training and more. In the military, you have drills, training, and being sent to various parts of the world, in times of peace and in war. For ministry there are mission trips, conferences, outreach events, setup of the sanctuary, rehearsals, counseling, preparation for teaching and preaching and more. If you are in one of these fields, or another one that requires you to be away from home for extended periods of time, don't lose sight of your family. You may need to say no to certain activities or opportunities for the sake of your kids or your marriage. There are far too many children who have been neglected because a missionary, pastor or teacher has been gone so long that the kids rejected the faith. For those who feel guilty because they have been away and know that there have been many missed opportunities, talk to your family. You may need to modify your schedule, take a new position, or even ask their forgiveness for being gone so often. But what's done is done. Start anew and rekindle those relationships, and spend time with those you love, for God can heal the heart and restore broken relationships. If you are married to someone who must work and or travel often, then do your best at home and don't badmouth your spouse for working, or for traveling so much in front of your kids or other relatives. You may need to talk with him or her and address some of these issues, but some can't do anything about their work schedule, and do their best to provide and be there for their families. Back to Samuel. Regardless of why Samuel's sons were ungodly, God says the nation rejected him, to rule over the people. Israel was supposed to be a theocracy, or a nation ruled by God as the king. Up to this point, God used others to help lead the nation and God, through Moses, told them they would have a king, Deuteronomy 17 14-20. Samuel warned them, but they did not listen. God told Samuel to listen to the people, 1 Samuel 8 10-22. One thing is clear, Samuel was a man of prayer. That is something we constantly see him doing in 1 Samuel, and something that was critical to his ministry, just as it is critical for our ministries, jobs, and life. That is one lesson we can learn from his life. God gave Israel what they wanted and chose Saul as king, despite Samuel's warnings, 1 Samuel 8 10-18. Once Saul becomes the king, Samuel steps back from the spotlight and took more of a counseling role, though he was still highly respected. He continued his prophetic role, specifically for Saul. It seems this was basis for the prophet's opportunity to have a special audience with the king. We see this with David and Nathan, 2 Samuel 12, Hezekiah and Isaiah, Isaiah 39, and more. Application, when it comes to being an assistant to a leader, or taking a step back from being a leader, as Samuel did, we need be just that. Secondary. If you are in supportive position, such as an assistant pastor, Bible teacher, assistant manager, or in an assistant position in the military or a coffee shop, then your role is to support the leader. I know we cannot always do that, such as when they want us to do something immoral, etc. then we need to speak up. In private. But as you study Samuel's life after Saul was given the throne, Samuel was primarily, though not always, in the shadows, giving counsel and direction to Saul in private. While there is a time to move to the next step in life and in our career, we wait on God's timing, get the training we need and with prayer, step into the lead, in His time. We next turn to see Saul.
we are introduced to him in 1 Samuel 9. Again, you can read about his life, successes, and failures in 1 Samuel 9-16, but there are a few things I want to highlight. He began well, but we find out how much of a coward he was. He continually rejected God's commands, made excuses, sought guidance from a medium rather than God, and was half-hearted in his repentance. Eventually, God through Samuel told Saul. 1 Samuel 15 26-28- You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Then Samuel turned to go, but Saul grasped the edge of his robe, and it tore off. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbor, who is better than you. Ouch! That was the price of continual disobedience. This was not the first time this happened. In 1 Samuel 13 13, Samuel told Saul God would have established him as king, but because he rejected God's word, the kingdom would be taken. Application, this is a warning for us. While we are secure in our salvation, our works are related to the rewards we receive in eternity. If we, as genuine Christians, rebel against God and reject His word, He will discipline us, even to the point of death. 1 Corinthians 11:30, taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, 1 John 5:16, a sin that leads to death. These verses are talking about believers. If you are a Christian, you cannot get away with sin. While any professing Christian who lives a life of sin, needs to check his or her salvation, if one continues to live in sin, God will take you home. Things brings us to David's anointing as king in 1 Samuel 16:14. Now the Spirit of the Lord left Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrified him. Some Christians cringe and get confused at this and others use this out of context. First, the Holy Spirit worked differently in the Old Testament, empowering individuals for service, or giving insight to what God wanted said or done, whether a believer in YHWH or not. I.e. Balaam. Second, this evil spirit has been misunderstood, but this helps. The Hebrew adjective ra, evil, has a broad range of possible meanings, including the following, of bad quality, inferior, disagreeable, displeasing, vicious, harmful, bad, evil. The noun ruah, spirit, also has a broad range, including, wind, breath, transitoriness, volition, disposition, temper, spirit, spirit. Of particular note for the present context is the use of Rua to mean the natural spirit of humanity, as sense, mind, intellectual frame of mind. Thus, the evil spirit visited on Saul may connote not a malevolent spiritual being per se, but an ill temper or even psychological affliction. That music provides some relief for Saul, see 1615-17, seems to support this more mundane interpretation of the evil spirit that comes on Saul after the departure of the Spirit of the Lord the Akkadian notion of a spirit or demon representing the individual's vital force, which could become alienated from the individual or driven away by evil, may offer some degree of conceptual parallel. 2. Application, this was the only time this occurred. Be careful about taking a mysterious text and making it into something more. Be discerning with regards to what someone says about this. Today, if a Christian sins, he or she will be convicted by the Spirit, but as time goes on without repentance, we convince ourselves we are okay and ignore His voice and work and suppress His influence in our lives, because of our sin. He doesn't leave us, but we bring difficulty into our own lives, such as stress, depression, illness, mental issues, and more. While these things are not always the result of sin, they can be. So, we need to check our hearts and attitudes and ask the Lord to reveal sin that may be affecting us, our reputation, relationships, personal health, etc. If not, and we still have problems, go to the doctor, or a Christian counselor, or get some good biblical guidance for your finances. 
Whatever the problem is, search for a solution as best as you can. And don't say you have a demon of underscore, because that is not the case. Another sad situation was when Saul went to the witch at Endor in 1 Samuel 28. Like Endor in Return of the Jedi. Saul inquired of the Lord, but he was silent. After rejecting the Lord and His word for so long, even when Saul inquired, God was silent. God puts up with only so much. Saul decided to go to a medium, or necromancer, one who consults the spirits of the dead. This was forbidden in the law and mediums were to be put to death, Leviticus 20 27. 1 Samuel 28 9 states Saul cut off the mediums from the land. He ran them out, had them killed, or perhaps a mixture of both. It has been long debated about the identity of the spirit who showed up. The word translated God, divine being or other variation, in verse 13 is plural and literally means gods. There are two possibilities. 1. It was a demonic being, pretending to be Samuel. This is common in spiritism. A demon pretends to be someone else and even gives details about their life. There is a communication network within the demonic realm, Acts 19 13-16, the demon knew about Paul, where information is passed on to others. This is one way that demons can pretend to be people who have died and give details about their lives. Another possibility. 2. It was actually Samuel, which would have been very unusual. This would explain why the woman was surprised. She wasn't used to seeing a real person's spirit. The text indicates that it may have been Samuel. His name is used often, and he refers to the Lord seven times, and the prophesies which came true. A demon would not be able to say something like this, particularly invoking God's name in this way. While it is not an open and shut case, you can do your own study, come to your own conclusion. Application, regarding the occult, some go way too far and say a demon is the cause of every problem, which is false, others ignore the reality of the spiritual realm. Both extremes are dangerous. Don't mess with the occult. This is not a game, and some of the things that take place are very real, because the demonic realm is real. Don't get mixed up in tarot cards, Ouija boards, horoscopes, visiting mediums, and more. This also includes putting oneself, or allowing oneself, to be put into a hypnotic state by repeating phrases, songs, or mantras for a long time. This allows you to become hyper-suggestible and you can open yourself up to influence of a person or even demonic influence, but not possession, for a Christian cannot be possessed. If you know someone in the occult, then you, in love, need to warn them of the consequences. Particularly if they are a professing Christian. For more information about this, go to http colon slash slash www.christiananswersforthenewage.org, Christian Answers for the New Age. https colon slash slash www.watchman.org, Watchman Fellowship. Last is Saul's death. This is a tragic end to a man who began well. As was prophesied by Samuel's spirit in 2819, Saul and his sons were going to die on the same day, which happened. The Philistines mutilated Saul's body. This picture shows the top of this hill, mound, or tell is Beit Sheen, or Beth Shan. This is the location where the Philistines nailed Saul's body to the wall, symbolic of victory over Israel's king and God. I took this picture when I was in Israel in June of 2022. You can still see the remains of some ruins from the Philistines. Out of respect, the Israelites came and took his body down and buried him with respect. D. David. Next is David. Again, there is a lot about him in the biblical text, and many Bible teachers have done some excellent studies on his life. One I would highly recommend is Chuck Swindoll's series, David, A Man of Passion and Destiny. The notes for this series are here. 
click to access david underscore sts underscore studies pdf. You can order resources from this series here. https colon slash slash store dot insight dot org slash search. Search. Text equals David percent 3A percent 20A percent 20 man percent 20 of percent 20 passion percent 20 and percent 20 destiny and it equals M35439. I want to talk about briefly about David and his time in En Gedi, starting in 1 Samuel 23-29, mainly to show you what it looks like. I took some pictures at En Gedi on a trip to Israel, in June 2022. I hope this gives you an idea about what it was like for David to run here, hide here and live here for a time. There are many small caves. No doubt David hid in them to escape Saul. You can see this is a desert region, and requires traveling a long distance from Jerusalem to here. E. Jonathan. Last, I want to look at David's best friend. It is special to have a true friend, and if you do have one, then thank God. There are also seasons in our lives where we have a best friend for time and we should also thank God for them. We are introduced to Jonathan in 1 Samuel 13 2-3, who is emphasized in chapter 14. He was a young man and commanded 1,000 of the 3,000 army of his father, King Saul. He was a brave and had great faith in God, thus, the Lord is not limited to saving by many or by few. In 1 Samuel 14 6b. Jonathan was a valiant warrior, who, with just his armor-bearer, killed 20 Philistines at Michmash, recorded in 1414. He was loved by the people too, so much that they rescued him and protested Saul's foolish order for the soldiers to not eat. Jonathan, Unaware of this command, ate honey, 1424-30, 43-45. Time goes by, David kills Goliath and Jonathan comes back on the scene in 1 Samuel 18. This is where we see the commitment and love Jonathan and David had together. Application, some say this was a homosexual relationship. That is not true. That is a disgusting perversion, of the Bible in an attempt to justify sin, by saying something the text never said, nor was meant to say this relationship was not sexual. This was the commitment to love your neighbor as yourself, in Leviticus 19:18 and in Matthew 5:43, 19:19, and more. David and Jonathan were like brothers in their commitment and love for one another. Jonathan was so committed to David he made a covenant with him in 18-3, and gave him his robe, military gear, and belt, which as the book states, was equal to Jonathan's expression of abdicating his role. He knew of David's eventual rule and covenanted with him to be his friend for life, and subject to David's rule. Application, this is amazing. Jonathan was heir to the throne, but gave it up for God's purpose and God's choice and expressed that to David in a visual way. He did not look at David as a rival, but a brother. Wow! Not only did Jonathan step back, as Samuel did, but he assured David of his loyalty. Please note that soon after Jonathan gave up his rights, David got a promotion and was put in charge of the soldiers, a job Jonathan had. Was Jonathan jealous? No. Was he angry? No. I'm sure he rejoiced. In chapter 19, Jonathan refused the king slash his father's order, to kill David. He warned David of what his father was going to do, which was treason in that culture and context. He also defended David and reminded his dad, the king, that David did nothing wrong to deserve death, but has brought the king great victories against his enemies, 19-4-5. The friends met by the stone of Ezel and entered into a second covenant, pledging themselves to strive for each other's safety, and David swearing to show kindness to the family of Jonathan when he should be delivered of his enemies. Jonathan again pleaded with his father to spare David, which so enraged the king that he hurled his spear at him, with the evident intention of taking his life. The next day Jonathan communicated the failure of his mission to David, and they parted to meet only once more, 
20-1-42. This last meeting within the wilderness of Ziph, during Saul's pursuit of David. Jonathan gave expression of his confidence in his friend's elevation to the throne. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord and parted to meet no more, 23-15-18. 3. The next and last time we read about Jonathan was his death, in the same battle as Saul in 1 Samuel 31. He was buried in Jabesh Gilead, 31-11-13, and his remains with those of Saul, were moved to Zela in the land of Benjamin, 2 Samuel 21-12-14. We know Jonathan was married and had one son, who was five when he died, 2 Samuel 4-4. Applications, Jonathan is a great man and truly a friend who loved at all times, Proverbs 17-17. He was committed to the Lord and David, and was faithful and committed to his father, the king. He was also a patriot, who was not afraid to put himself in harm's way to defend his country. But his most noticeable characteristic was his ardent and unselfish devotion to his friends, which led him to give up his hopes of the throne and even expose himself to death for the sake of those he loved. 4. First, I want to acknowledge, thank, and honor those who have served and are serving in the military and National Guard. I salute you. My grandfather was in World War II, and my dad served in the army in Vietnam. That is one area where I have not had the privilege to be a part of, but one of my good friends is a captain in the Air Force. I honor your sacrifice for the country and the sacrifice you constantly give, not only to protect the country, but also to your family. The Lord sees your sacrifice. Blessings to you. Second, I want to acknowledge, thank and honor those who are part of the police force, the firefighters, nurses, doctors and more who give up their time and give themselves to help, support, and protect others. The Lord sees your sacrifice too. Blessings to you. Third, are we committed to the Lord like Jonathan? Are we committed to our friends like he was? Are we committed to our spouses and children? Lack of commitment is a big problem in the world. Even if no one is committed to us, let us determine to be committed to our friends, our family, and our country. Let us stand for what is right, biblical, and honor those who have gone before us to give us the freedom we have today. We need to be Christians like this now more than ever. Are we willing to give up our rights, as Jonathan did, for the benefit of others? We can do this, because Jesus, gave up his rights, came to earth to be born as a baby, die on a cross for our sins and resurrect three days later. See Philippians 2 3-11. Jesus gave us his righteous robe, so we could become co-heirs with him of all he has, Romans 8:17. He was the sin sacrifice for us, so we could receive his righteousness, 2 Corinthians 5 21. Jonathan is a perfect example of Jesus, what he came to do, and how to live a life of humility, honor and sacrifice. Let his example be an encouragement and challenge for us to live that way, by God's grace, spirit, power and love. Dash. 1. Young Blood, Logos Reference. 2. J. H. Walton, J. H. Sondervan Illustrated Bible Backgrounds Commentary, Old Testament, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, Grand Rapids, Michigan, Zondervan, 2009, Volume 2, 343-344. 3. Merrill F. Unger, The New Unger's Bible Dictionary, Chicago, Illinois, Moody Press, 1988, 706. 4. Ibid.